When Brad McAtee was elected as the senior pastor at Peace Chapel in Fairgrove, Missouri, he knew it was not an easy assignment. But after five years of sacrifice and hard work, things were really going well. Attendance was up, the mortgage was paid off, and church programs were solidly in place. But still he had a lingering concern and would sometimes ask his wife, Janae, what are we missing? And one day he found out what was missing, and it began what he calls the beginning of horribleness. That may not sound like good English, but it certainly describes the situation. Thanks for joining us as we discuss Poker Doesn't Build Churches. Welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Rick Shields, and I'm the director of the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network. I'm pleased to have Pastor Brad McAtee joining me on this podcast. Brad is the husband of Janae McAtee and the father of Jack and Macy. Brad, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Pastor Rick, it's always a pleasure. A lot of fun over the years just to be able to connect with you back and forth over the phone. I remember the first day you you showed up at Carbondale and I was just a youth pastor and those were good times and uh, great times to be asking questions and learning and growing. Within a couple of years, you and your family had moved to the Springfield, Missouri area where you later were elected to become the lead pastor at Peace Chapel in Fairgrove, Missouri, just a few miles north of Springfield. It was not a very plush assignment, as I recall. Tell me a little bit about some of the issues that you faced when you became the pastor there at Peace Chapel. You know, the the heyday had been here. The heyday had gone. I was still thrilled to be the pastor, but I remember that first year walking around and going, where is this? I'm asking somebody that was on staff, and they were part-time staff, hey, do we have one of these? And, you know, they would always just laugh, and I'm thinking, well, we always had those things, whatever those things might have been at my last church. I'll never forget the first annual business meeting. I I just stopped and I, I just wrote, began to write a list of all the things that were broken. And the, and the first annual business meeting, I remember, you know, and it wasn't because I did all of them. I, I did a lot of things, but I had a, you know, a lot of volunteers along the way and people that, you know, new pastor, new energy. Hey, let's get the ball rolling. We listed off a, a hundred things. I mean, from a leaky faucet to a toilet that didn't work to this light hasn't worked in five years. And so that first first few years were, were a big learning curve. Yeah. And, and that's what I was just going to say, as I recall, in conversations we've had, things by the end of that first five years, they were, they were going well. You must have thought that things, I, I guess, you must have thought things were looking good and the future was bright. I remember sitting listening to other senior pastors just make comments. And I remember just kind of thinking, what are they doing? And you know, the devil's a liar and the devil's doing a wonderful job lying to me at times because I'd get in my car after listening to somebody whine about whatever situation at their church. And, you know, I would say things like, well, if they were a better leader, that wouldn't happen or this. And, you know, it's like and I, I look back and feel ashamed of myself for some of the thoughts that I had, because the first five years, you know, we, we grew by 25. We grew the next year by 50. We grew the next year by, you know, another 25. It just seemed like the money was getting better. The, the crowd, you know, we have a 600 seat auditorium. When I got here, it's absolutely felt completely empty. So the more people we get to sit in seats and, you know, so I'm like, hey, we're making progress here. This is this is what I envisioned. This is what I thought it would be like. You know, we got here with debt. I felt like the Lord had spoken to me very clearly one Sunday morning about, hey, you're in debt. You need to put a plan together. Let's get out of debt. I felt like he said we could do it in five years. I told the church, I said on the board, we put a program together. Uh, we began to knock those things out. And so it looked like, and I'll just stress, looked like, it looked like things were going well. Yeah, but there was a dirty little secret, wasn't there? Lurking in the shadows, 
Tell us about what was going on and how you found out about it. You know, I think that was one of the biggest things that bothered me the most is we always want to think that we know. We want to think that we're good leaders. We want to think that we have the pulse of what's going on in the church. And, you know, as I said a moment ago, we, we were going on an overseas missions trip every other year. We were doing in-state uh, missions trips. We were starting programs. You know, our men's ministry was booming. And I'm just th- sitting there thinking, man, things are going really, really well. And one Monday afternoon, when I was in an office with our financial secretary, sweet lady, their family had been the nicest to us out of anybody in our church by far. I mean, just by far. They they had helped. They had walked with us through everything. And so imagine being in this eight foot by eight foot room, two desks, that way you could look at each other face to face and, you know, just have room in front of you to work. And you know, we're just talking like, like always and just having chit chat about the church and, you know, her family, my family. And, and then all of a sudden she just said, out of nowhere, she goes, I was at Downstream last night. Downstream was a new casino that that they built close to that time of 2010, you know, whatever, r- roughly right through there. And I'll never forget when she said it. It's like I just stopped counting. And I looked up and I looked at her. And every time I tell this story, it's I, I always say this. I'm like, you know how it feels like the minute that you stand in front of the microwave is like the longest minute ever? Well, imagine this being two minutes. Two minutes of just standing in front of the microwave, watching your food go round and round. And I felt like for two minutes, I stopped doing everything and I just looked at her. And as I looked at her, I began to see these alligator tears just begin to come down her face. And she just began to confess everything. She just began to say, you know what, my family, we, me and my husband, we go. She began to say that others in the church went. She began to say, and it was just like, I was blown away. There was moments where I thought in that previous year, things are going really well. And I remember looking at my wife and going, what are we missing? And I never could put my, my finger on it. What are, what are we missing? You know, we're, we're, we're growing. Here's a new family, uh, this other new family, the kind of family that every pastor wishes would come to their church, just wonderful, godly, nice. And, you know, he's saying, you know, man, this is one of the healthiest churches that I've been in in a long time. And and he just complimented, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling these things and I'm enjoying these things that are being said. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm missing something. But in that office on that Monday in that eight by eight room, it's just like everything just, it's like the, the light came on. It was just like the train went off the rails. I mean, there was no yelling. It was just, it was just two people sitting in a very small office. And I just looked at her and I said, I'm so sorry. I remember we finished what we were doing. I remember calling her husband because she was one of my deacons. And I said, I'd like to meet you at a Mexican restaurant. And we sat down and in the blame game of he began to blame her. And I mean, it was just, it got ugly. It got confusing. And it was just one of the, it was just the absolute beginning of the worst two years of my life. I, I don't know how to yeah. say that any other, any other way, but it was just absolutely the beginning of horribleness. So there was more than one family involved in this. Uh, Imagine a rural church, you know, running about 225. You've got your men's leader, your women's leader. You've got your Sunday school superintendent. You've got your deacons. At the end of the story, every one of our leaders was taking people with them uh, gambling. And, you know, as I got to the very end of the story, I learned, you know, how did this ever start? These were all people that grew up in church. One of the families had gone on a cruise with their family and their family had given them a little bit of money and said, hey, well, why don't you go down? do some gambling on the cruise ship. Nobody will know. And as you know, and as I know about cancer, it just doesn't stop there. It just begins to grow. And one family would invite another family and then another family would invite another family. Hey, this is no big deal. Everybody said the same thing. It's just entertainment. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things that became just such a difficult thing to deal with. A lot of people have asked me, well, how did you how did you handle this? Well, you know, when I found out, I knew that I couldn't just stand the pulpit and, and say something. So I took one deacon to a restaurant and then I took another deacon to another restaurant. You know, everybody on my board at that time could have been my dad. And I didn't want a private conversation in an office somewhere. I wanted to be in public somewhere because I did not know how this was going to go. I remember handing both of those deacons. This is the Assemblies of God stance on gambling. They both received it. They both said that they were sorry. And I, something happened that I'll never forget. I, I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to forgive them. You know, I, I learned that the cancer was so big. I felt like the Lord said, just forgive them. And my hope was that this deacon would have an encounter with God and he would begin to minister to his deacon friend. And, and that deacon friend would minister to that deacon friend or that person would minister to, you know, that men's ministry or that women's ministry person. And I I, I had to see there really hope that that God was going to be in that moment. And these people would rise up and, and they would begin to influence each other. But after I forgave them, they, you know, I left them on the board and I, I felt like they, they were, I felt like they straightened up. I, I felt like things were good. I felt like we had good meetings after that. And I'll never forget about eight months after that, there was another man in our church after the Joplin tornado. He goes, I was where I shouldn't have been. And this is how he prefaces. He goes, I was where I shouldn't have been, but I have to tell you what I saw. So I'll never forget after that Sunday morning, I invited one of the deacons into my office and said, hey, and once again, it's just really weird asking somebody that could be your dad. Can you tell me where you were? And he just looked at me and he said, this is where I was at. And I said, well, well, the first time I needed to forgive you, this time you need to step down. And that was just like shots fired. And I said it as politely as I could, as nicely as I could. But it was from there that rumors and and uh, letters were written and circulation. I had one man, it was a big wild game dinner that was all kind of mixed in with this, that the men's ministry were a part of and the lies began to be told and, and provable lies. I mean, they weren't even good lies. So this letter, I wrote a letter to one individual that was not a deacon, but a leader. That letter got circulated. That letter got copied. That letter was, uh, rumors were told about and how ugly that letter was. And all that built up to this meeting that was just supposed to be, we had a um, a mediator come in. He's like, hey, we've got to find peace. So we got a, a mediator, the, um, a man in our church that had traveled around the country doing mediation with churches. And, and so he goes, hey, let me step in. Let me try to be helpful. And you know, a meeting that should have been about seven people ended up being about a hundred people. And, you know, and the letter was read and, and the other side started screaming, that's not the letter. I mean, it was just as ugly as it could be. That's not the letter. You know, so like, a, I'll never forget, it was like a mob boss. It's like, as they begin to yell that, you know, this leader in the church, just kind of like a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a mob movie, just kind of look at some guy and almost like snapped his finger and nod his head and said, so-and-so's got one in his car. And, and I said, well, I've got a copy of it in my office. And all three letters were brought, laid out. And it was all three of them were the same letter. You read a letter wow. with the wrong tone, you get a you get the wrong response. My name is Rick Shields. I'm joined on this episode with Brad McAtee, the lead pastor at Peace Chapel in Fairgrove, Missouri. A few years ago, Brad was confronted with an issue that split the church, required his district leadership to come involved. And that's what we're talking about now. And all of this was due to a gambling problem that existed with most of the members of the leadership in the church. So the church, Brad, was obviously affected. And you were just telling me about how they were reacting to all this. Did they think that having deacons seated on the board who were gambling was anybody's business? Well, so many times when there's a conflict, everybody 
talks not about the problem. They talk around the problem. Until we came to this one meeting, nobody was ever saying this out loud. And, you know, and I'm trying to be, I'm trying to navigate through this. You know, I, I look back and I've had people say, well, why didn't you just do this? Or why didn't you do that? Well, you know, I, I think part of the heart of a pastor needs to be, how do I shepherd these people? My my hope was, how can we bring them to the point of them understanding that there's nothing good coming from this situation? And so that was always my heart. As I say that, I reflect back to a meeting that we were having. And I'll never forget, once again, here in the office, we were in our in our boardroom and and a group of men was split half and half, not trying to, to make fun of a story, but just to really just bring visualization to the story. There was about a 500 pound man. And, you know, I weighed about 155 pounds at this time. And he had his finger in my face about a half inch from my nose. And he's screaming, why don't you preach and leave us alone? It's, it's, it's one of those moments that I'll never get out of my mind. As the thoughts go through my mind, Brad, don't move. He's going to kill you. Brad, don't move. He's going to, I mean, he's going to grab a hold of you and say, this is going to, and I'm thinking, don't move, don't flinch, don't whatever. So it got hostile, but I was amazed, absolutely amazed that I was able just to stare at him. I, and I felt like the Lord just continually told me, just be quiet. And, uh, you know, we see in scripture how God says, hey, I'll fight your battles. All I need you to do is stand. And, and, you know, it sounds like something that you, you hear in Sunday school and makes for good preaching. But I want you to know that I lived it. I, I lived it being in an annual business meeting with the with the district coming where um, where the superintendent was present and people are standing up and they're blasting me. So what happened so, to the congregation after all of this stuff came to light? What happened? Most of them would say this. Oh, that's not what we were told. And, you know, that's how the enemy works. It works in lies. Of course. Uh, that's not. What happened? That's not what was said. I had one man that was going house to house to influential families and saying, hey, we're, we're getting rid of Brad. He's got to go. And, you know, and everybody tells their narrative of piece of information that uh, makes their side look a little better. And so I think that was the big takeaway is just so many people said, well, that's not what we were told. So people leave the church, people stay. What happened? You know, at this point, everybody's staying, you know, but through this, uh, you know, one of the deacons, felt it upon himself that uh, there needs to be a pastoral vote. Well, when I was elected, you know, we were one of those churches that uh, we didn't vote every three years. I was voted in indefinitely. So they put a petition together and they went to the district office. The superintendent's invited to a meeting, a special meeting. Well, they say, well, this is what we do in Southern Missouri is every time there's a petition, they come back to the church and make sure that all of the people that had signed the petition are active and qualified members. And as they begin to go through the active and qualified members, one of the things they always look at is everybody's tithing record. As they begin to look at the number of signatures, it didn't match enough people that qualified for the petition. So the, the district came in, the superintendent, you know, he takes the podium, he begins to greet everybody. And once again, he's looking for peace too, but it's his, it's his responsibility to rule the petition invalid in this moment. And so as he does that, you know, there's a stir in the audience and people are murmuring and saying this or whatever. But I felt like that I still needed to stand up and say, because I, I just, I needed peace. I, I couldn't, I was at the end of my rope. I'm like, okay, I need peace in this moment. So I stood up and I said, I know the petition for me was ruled invalid, but I'm asking that us as a church, we would vote anyway. Ballots are passed out and pretty much every signature that was on the petition said no. The rest of the church said yes. The superintendent made a motion after that to uh, bring the meeting to a close, and uh, the meeting was to a close. It was one of those ugly, ugly moments where, okay, well, we did something, but now everybody's mad. 
Uh, we lost 100 people that night. We lost all the business leaders, all the leaders in the church. You know, we hear the stories of people walking up on stage and grabbing their guitars. And it was just ugly. I, there was, mm. well, it was necessary, but it was ugly. So that's been how many years ago? You know, that's been over 12 years ago. You know, so I've been here 17 and a half years. That all happened in year five. You know, probably one of the coolest stories in the midst of that, that was I got hired in April of 2006. And I felt like the Lord said to get out of debt. Those first five years, we sacrificed in every area to be out of debt. And the month that the petition came down, that all this happened, that everybody left, was the same month that we paid off the building. So we were able, I mean, to me, I always look back, I'm like, it was a miracle story because we were able to continue on with the church financially because we were out of debt. I mean, money was tight, don't misunderstand me, but everything went on as possible. You know, we'd lost, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars of tithe and we'd lost this and we'd lost that, but we made it. Look back and you see the provision of God and and that was significant for us. I know you well enough to realize there's got to be a lesson in all of this, a lesson to be learned. So what takeaway would you share with others about an issue like this, whether it's gambling or other addictions, illegal activities, whatever? There's a lesson to be learned. And as I look back and I see that we lost every leader in the church, and and I look back and I see some of the mistakes that I made. I remember reaching out to several pastors, asking questions, asking for support. But I started this process by myself. And, you know, I kept telling myself, Brad, you're you're a strong leader. Brad, you can do this on your own. Brad, don't let anybody know. You can navigate through this. You're smart enough. You're this. You've been through enough. You've served here and you've served there and, and you can do this. And and I, and I look back and I'm thinking, well, that was one of the biggest lies that the devil told me is you can do this alone. And I look back and I'm thinking, why did I not? And I know that there's moments where I involved other ministers to kind of encourage me because I was I was at the bottom. But I look back and I think. That was one of the biggest lies that I faced. And so, you know, if you're a minister out there today, and and I just want you to know, as ugly as stories you've gone through, my story was very ugly, and it was very lengthy. And we're just not designed to go through this alone. I mean, we know that the Bible says that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. And I know that God was with me all the way through. I see that he was walking right beside me, but, you know, I'm still taking these pop shots and I'm still, I just needed more people along the way to be brief and to kind of walk through this process with, um, you know, we go through all this horribleness, go through the vote, uh, the district comes in, 100 people leave, the next Next Sunday morning, about a minute and a half before I walk on stage, this old guy, old guy in our church walks up to me and says, hey, I know it's kind of a bad timing, but I won the lottery last night. What would you like me to do with the tithe? And I remember looking at him and saying, you hold on to your money. I want to give you a really good answer, and I'll, I'll call you on Wednesday. And he just looked at me. And I, you know, I need to go preach. I need to move forward. I remember calling him back, but I'd called six different ministers, and you know, three of them said the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And then I got this other three pastors that are saying it's a trap, and you need to be aware. I was just amazed at how it just never seemed to end. It just never. It's just like you get through one hoop, and there would always be this next hoop. But for whoever is listening out there, I just want you to know: don't do it alone. There's somebody. You know, maybe it's a district official. Maybe it's maybe it's not. Maybe it's one of your good pastor friends. Maybe it's somebody out of state, but don't go through it alone. You know, I'm going to say this is going to sound kind of negative. Um, whatever district you're in, they're designed to walk with you, but they can only walk with you so far because they're kind of the big picture guys. And you need a small picture guy that can be a personal friend to walk with you as you 
come out of that hole. And yeah, it took me years to kind of come out of that hole again. You know, so you got to find those people. You know, these guys at the district, there's another fight the next week. And, you know, it's like, I know that, but it, it, it was kind of hurtful. It's like, okay, you came and you did all this and then you left. And it's like, I understand it, but it hurt. So find somebody to go through your struggle with you. Find somebody that loves you no matter what. Find somebody that you can say, you know, today's just been horrible. And somebody that's going to encourage you instead of just saying, well, here's five things you did wrong. And let's, you need that person at times, but you need an encourager at times also to help lift yeah. you up through the heart. Brad, would you be willing to conclude our time with a prayer for those who've heard this podcast and need the courage to make the changes, some like what you've made? It it may be for pastors or ministry leaders who may need to take the initiative, even for those who are caught in activities that are not what leaders should be doing as an example to others. Maybe you could just lead us in a short prayer. Just one final thought before I pray. You know, God's called us to be shepherd. God's called us to be pastors. And so that's not always doing the popular thing. It's doing the right thing and it's doing the right thing, not just and this is what's politically correct or it's you know socially correct. We need to make sure that we're doing things that are biblically correct. And at the end of every day, I had to go home with myself and I had to live with myself and the decisions that I've made. So, you know, I think it's important that we always are reminded that we don't need to just get through the moment. We need to do the right thing. The Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And having that mindset, if God's on my side. If God's fighting for me, then what do I need to fear? So let me just pray today. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now, maybe somebody's listening to this and well, they're going through a struggle. I just want you to know I've gone through a struggle. Mine's not been the biggest. People have gone through worse. But Lord, remind us that you are for us and that you are with us and you've got promises that you said you would never leave us. And Lord, that you would never forsake us. So I ask right now in Jesus' name that all across, whoever's listening to this, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. And Lord, that you would remind them, Lord, that you are the all-powerful God. I believe that today that your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us uh, through very difficult circumstances. Lord, we don't have to do this alone. And Lord, yes, we need other leaders with us. But Lord, we need you the most. Lord, you love us and you care for us in ways that people never will. So Lord, help us today. I love you. And Lord, I pray that today that you would just encourage someone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed our podcast and will follow us or subscribe so you can be notified when new podcasts are released. And please consider sharing it with a friend. Until next time, this is Rick Shields. And on behalf of the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network, here's my prayer for you. May you have rest when you need it, strength when you want it, and joy when you least expect it. Until next time, May the Lord bless you as you follow after him 